Hello and welcome to Is This Anime? I am your quote-unquote anime expert, Jack Metcalf, and joining us once again is Jordan Mitchell Love. Jordan, how are you? Good. I am the quote-unquote co-host and quote-unquote not quite expert on anime, so this will be fun. This will be fun. Yeah, we are talking. Scott Pilgrim takes off, and uh, because uh, it's late at night, or at least late by my standards, because I'm an old man and 840 makes me sleepy... We're just going to get right into it. So we, of course, know your anime experience, Jordan. But what is your Scott Pilgrim experience? Virtually (laughs) zero. Um, I remember the movie coming out. I remember trying to watch it because a friend of mine asked me to watch it. And I will say probably after about like 35, 40 minutes, I got up and I left. It's one of the very few times I've ever gotten up and left a film. I do not like Scott Pilgrim. I do not like the film. Um, I have tried revisiting it a couple times since then. Uh, I have not tried reading the manga, but because basically the movie turned me off that much, which is a, which is a darn shame because I really respect what it did for the medium. I really respect like what it did. It just, I really didn't enjoy it at all. Why? That's a good question because I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get into talking about the movie because we have to, but, uh, it, you know, it's got a good Rotten Tomatoes. It's got, it's got the, the critics loved it. The critics love Great. it. So, w- what was your issue? Let's get. I want to. Um, I want to hear okay. this. Okay. Oh. Oh yeah, because you and I never actually. I think I told you a little bit about this, but um, I know I was saving it. I was saving it. <laughs> so first off, um, Michael Sarah. I do not enjoy him as an actor on the whole. He does the really. He ha- does have a couple really good roles. Um, I really loved him in Juno. I thought he was excellent in that, but that sort of like wimpy, you know, kind of like that kind of character, it gets really old really fast for me personally. And um, I really did not like his acting in it at all, Um, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. But the other thing is that Scott Pilgrim as a character, I don't like him. I understand that he is a flawed protagonist. I understand that a lot of people grow. I understand that, you know, the the movie is about like, you know, oh, he grows and he, he becomes better and everything like that. I just, I really didn't like the idea of rewarding that kind of behavior because he is unemployed. He's an absolute douche canoe. Um, he was like dating this like 17 year old and leading her on. And then all of a sudden he meets Ramona and doesn't really um, tell knives about this. And there's really no like apparent reason, at least from what I saw, of why Ramona likes Scott. There's really no reason why. I truly do not understand it. I could see that for sure. The movie uh, speeds a lot. I mean, the movie yes. condenses six volumes of a graphic novel series into two hours. So I could definitely see where yes. you're coming from there. Um, so yeah, let's just get right into the history because we'll we'll explain. Because first off, I did enjoy the movie a lot when I first saw it. It appealed to me the the whole uh, comic bookiness of it, the whole all the video game references that was super appealing to me, especially at my age, which was like 18, 19 or something like that. So it was definitely made for me at the time. And I certainly was a Scott Pilgrim even longer than Scott Pilgrim was a Scott Pilgrim, unfortunately. Um, it. But, but say la vie, say la vie. Anyways, started off as a graphic novel series written and drawn by Brian Lee O'Malley. He was 24 at the time and had just published his first graphic novel, Lost at Sea. That book was, as he described, very emotional, which made his friends uncomfortable. So with Scott Pilgrim, he wanted to make something that would make them happy. And it was very much inspired by his personal life as he was around the same age as Scott. He had a gay roommate and he was in a band and he lived in Toronto. So very autobiographical thing. 
I mean, that's the other thing. Scott Pilgrim is a is a Canadian movie. Uh, that's what makes it unique too. You're not biased at all. No, but I've never been to Toronto, so there is that. Uh, really? Nah, man. I'm, it's it's on the other side of uh, the country. I, I'm I mean, a west. I'm, I moved. I was gonna say I moved like across the country in the U.S. Like I'm I'm West Coast, bro. That's East Coast. Great. <laughs> you you know it's called a plane. It's called a plane. Yeah, Although I mean, y'all I've, do I've, have Air Canada, like that I've, is yeah, and I've heard awful things about Air Canada. I mean, all airlines are bad at this point. Are there good True. ones? But is Boeing any good? Isn't that the uh, the airline where the plane no? That's the jet. Break? That's that's the jet. <laughs> Which that's is the, the airline check. that? Which is the airline that just breaks down now? The one with the the plane door that just fell off. I think that's just. I think that is the Boeing like jet craft uh, aircraft. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, listen, I, listen, I'm just trying to you know hate hate on you know the fact that you're that you don't want to fly. I mean, I no, I've been to Europe. I've been to other countries before, but uh, I don't know. I just haven't had an urge to go to Toronto. I've been to New York, which I know is like pretty close by, but uh, haven't had a reason yeah. to go. Uh, maybe someday. Anyways, uh, yeah, the art style for Scott Pilgrim was inspired by the anime uh, Ranma One Half, and O'Malley learned to draw by reading the parody book Even a Monkey Can Draw Manga. Uh, important to note, um, even though there is anime influence in Scott Pilgrim, and this adaptation was done by an anime studio, O'Malley himself said he didn't watch a lot of anime back when he was making it. Um, he had a couple influences, but as a 24-year-old man in the early 2000s, it was much harder to find. So there you go. Makes sense. Uh, the first volume of what became a six-volume series released in 2004, O'Malley expected it to sell about 1,000 copies. It ended up selling millions as, and was reprinted in color and became a transmedia franchise, the first of which was the film Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So his publisher, Oni Press, immediately went into optioning a film adaptation after the first volume was released. O'Malley initially wasn't interested in the project beyond the money, which, I'm, which I, lo- I love his honesty. He's like, yeah, I was like 24. I just wanted money. I mean, listen, what 24-year-old doesn't want money? Yeah, he's like, you know, he's just a cartoonist. Uh, he's not expecting too much. And yeah, he wasn't interested in the project, but he lucked out super hard when Universal Studios chose Edgar Wright to direct. And Edgar Wright was hot off Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. So he used That's his right. pulse. Yeah, so again, this is Edgar Wright, man. He's batting 100. So he used his pull to get O'Malley heavily involved in the film. And the main draft of the film was completed hours before the October 2007 writer's strike. And this timing is important, as Scott Pilgrim's final volume wouldn't be released until 2010. So that gets into Oh, see, some... I didn't know that. Yeah, so they actually, like they had no material from volume six to even adapt when they were shooting that movie. Uh, and the initial ending to the film even had Scott choosing knives chow over Ramona, which right then reshot after poor test screenings and learning O'Malley had made a different choice for volume six. Interesting. And wait, so who does he choose after in volume six? He chooses Ramona. So Edgar okay. was like, Oh, I thought he was going to pick knives. So he picks knives and Good thing you didn't, because Scott. Edgar, didn't. Edgar, Edgar, you're you're no longer batting a thousand. Like, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he, Edgar. I think Edgar is also into the May December r- relationships too, because what was it? Uh, he was dating Anna Kendrick uh, on that film, and she was also uh, considerably younger than him. Well, you know, hey, rock on. Uh, what is it? What is that saying? Uh, life, uh, life influences art. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Anna yeah. Kendrick was at least an adult. But uh, I think there was... Or, uh, yeah, art influences life. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
it yeah there I'm, I'm, no... I, I was gonna say i'm really loving this by the way because this is i think the first one that other than actually watching you know the the actual subject material i'm going into this basically completely blind exactly that's why i wanted you to, me... to do this <laughs> Uh, so the film lucked out incredibly hard with its castings, with a pre-fame Brie Larson and Aubrey Plaza. Uh, I said most notable ones in my notes. I mean, obviously Chris Evans, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, fuck, I just forgot his name. Who, who am I talking about? The vegan. Chris, uh, oh, um, 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 Brandon Routh. Brandon Routh. Yeah, these are all. These were all. Yeah. Well, I guess Brandon Routh was already on. Uh, Poor well, guy. He, was, he had just done, um, and he just done, I think, the Superman movie, but that did not do super well. But like, I mean, you got Kieran Culkin, you had Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is like one of my personal favorites. Um, she's just been super consistent. You did have Michael Sarah, and again, he's hot off Arrested Development, so he is a star at this point. Again, super that is true. Too. Yeah, this is as far as a cast list goes. This movie is uh, batting a thousand, pretty much every single person. I mean, maybe there's not like a bunch of people who know who Mark Webber and Johnny Simmons are, but they are still working. Allison Pill, of course, she's great. Anna Kendrick, again, Mae Whitman, who uh, was also in Arrested Development with Michael Sarah, she's fantastic as Roxy. But yeah, this this is a pretty good fucking cast. It's and... a very banger cast. Again, I have no idea why. Like I. It just says like how much I dislike the character and the and everything just for me to go, oh, this cast is incredible. I and I love Edgar Wright. He's one of my all time favorite directors and he's probably one of the best directors of his generation. But damn almighty, I just can't get through it. Fair enough. Yeah, I will say this. I did finally read the comic after watching uh this anime. And I'll say this. The comic would maybe address some of your issues. It's kind of funny looking at each adaptation now because I have the full picture, because the comic is like maybe only 10 to 20% wacky stuff. The rest is like a pretty realistic, um, jokey uh, series about, you know, 20 year olds hanging out and just dating and living life. It's very grounded. Yeah, and the characters are more developed. Uh, for one thing, Scott and Ramona's whole thing plays out over about a year as opposed to the movie, which feels like maybe a weekend or something. And even this yeah. TV show where it's like maybe a week. Um, but no, and like the comic, you get to see their whole relationship play out. Uh, there's even some additional characters who aren't even present in this adaptation uh, that get to shine in different ways. Yeah, but, and well, and that's the hard part of, of that's like the downside of transmedia. The downside of transmedia is if you're taking something that's comic or graphic novel based and adapting it to like a, a TV series or a movie, you do have to take some creative licenses. Um, Watchmen immediately comes to mind. Watchmen, uh, oh my god, don't get me started on that. Uh, the Zack Snyder movie, which has its own, which is uh, an example of someone trying to make it as accurate as possible while completely missing it. And then um, Damon Lindelof's Watchmen, which I think I like maybe eight out of ten episodes, and then it falls apart. Yeah, uh, mm, okay, we can, I, we can have some debates on that. Yeah, I, I like well, that. It's, That's it's, a good for I, another time. It's Yeah, I just feel... Um, it's a show clearly made by a very white liberal who whose views, especially in those last two episodes, are uh, yeah. the whole cop becoming God thing. I'll just say that. I'm like, that shit aged like milk. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. See, you're agreeing with me on that. And that's like that's a pretty big ding against it. Again, I said first eight out of ten. It's the ending where I'm like, this is kind of cringe. Anyways, uh, this is not the Watchmen podcast because there was also a spin-off game published by Ubisoft 
um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the game. It's pretty cute. Um, it's not a triple A video game. It's like a little beat em up like river city ransom. And also, uh, important to note, the film was a box office bomb making only $50 million off a $60 million budget. But I'm sure this was, uh, this was during the time when people still bought DVDs and Blu-rays. So I'm sure it made its money back there. Uh, yeah. I and it, it has become since become like a cult, like just a cult film. And it's, it's on like all these lists and everything like that. For sure. So since the release of the film, O'Malley moved on from Scott Pilgrim. He wrote a graphic novel called Snot Girl, and he was working on another called Worst World that is still yet to be released. But in 2018, producer Jared LaBeouf approached Edgar Wright and O'Malley with doing an anime project with the studio Science Saru. Uh, they're known for a lot of things, uh, notably, at least to podcast listeners, they worked on Adventure Time and Devilman Crybaby, among others. Uh, and you, you know, you can just look up what else they've done. They've done a ton of good stuff. Uh, unfortunately, Brian's mother ended up dying in 2019, which caused the development to stall for about a year. And then in 2020, indie filmmaker Ben David Grabinski pitched to him the idea that would form the hook of the show. And when Wright finally pitched the project to his old cast, they responded within hours that it was a yes. Uh, he said he like sent them a message in the, the morning. He expected to hear back from everyone within like six weeks. They responded by the afternoon. Wow. Yeah. Again, that's an example of like, clearly they just loved working on that movie and they were like, fuck yeah, I'm in. That's so cool. Like just to have that kind of camaraderie, uh, like after all those years is still, is just really wonderful. And again, these people are busy. You know, Chris Evans, he might not be Captain America anymore, but he's still a busy man. Brie Larson, busy, busy. Michael Sarah, you know, he's, he was, Probably, you know, maybe even on set on Barbie or whatever, playing Alan or something like that. Um, Probably. So again, busy people, but they were just like, fuck yeah, we're coming back for this. Uh, the series was- Listen, We're getting the band back together, Edgar. We're getting the band back together. Exactly. I think the only two people who weren't back were the Kusanagi twins because they were just played by uh, borderline extras. So uh, those, were, those two characters were recast. But again, I barely remember the Kusanagis in the movie. Even in the comic, they're, they're the one, barely the there. The twins. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, they 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 get their time to shine in this. Anyways, um, so yeah, Netflix officially announced it in March 2023 with the cast announcement. And as for the story, it was assumed to be a more faithful adaptation of the comic, as the film had cut so much to fit its two-hour runtime. This would not be the case. So let's get right no, into it. it was not. It was not. Um, so again, I remember telling you about this show and you had expressed how you didn't like the movie. And I was like, no, man, no, you really got to watch it. I've just finished it. I binged it in a day. You seriously have to watch it. <laughs> and uh, uh, let's just get into preview, a preview of that uh, feelings. What did you think about the direction the series ended up going in? Oh, I enjoyed it a lot better. Um, I will say my I, I do have certain favorite parts of it, which I, I feel like we'll, we can get into as we go along and talk about the individual episodes. But uh, I overall enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would overall. And that's my initial opinion. And like I said, we can get into it more as we go talk about each episode. I told myself I wouldn't take super extensive notes also just for the sake of time. And we are covering eight episodes, but um, cause I took, did a you lot. do that? I, yeah, I, I was going to say. I, I couldn't fucking help myself, man. Um, the first episode, you know, it opens in a similar way to the graphic novel. And again, 
they're they're clearly lulling you into a sense of security. Uh, it plays very similar even to the movie, um, but there are some key key lines that I think are pretty important, which is when Scott goes up to Ramona the first time and he says, "You know, Sonic the Hedgehog." You might not know this, but in the 90s, there were two Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons going on at the same time. One was dark and dramatic. The other was a hilarious comedy about chili dogs. And the same guy played Sonic in both shows. Isn't that wild? The same character playing two versions of the same character. <laughs> big, oh, big Oh, that's kid. clever. That's a clever dig. Now, what, now knowing what I know about the show, that's very clever. Yeah, that's some foreshadowing right there. Uh, there's also some cute stuff. Ramona in this version delivers DVDs for Netflix instead of the competitor Amazon, because uh, that's who she worked for in the movie and the graphic novel. Oh, uh, Scott, he orders the movie Game is Over 2. The game is over a second time. Yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, when the league is doing their whole league thing, uh, I think it's... Uh, Lucas Lee, who says this, I just want to thank you for creating this league. It's pretty high concept. Yeah. Oh, God. It was so fun. I didn't even realize that, that was Chris Evans who was Lucas Lee. Like, Chris that's Evans how little is, I know about this. Chris Evans is so fucking good in this, and the fact that he's, like, in a lot of it. Again, like, I think Brie Larson and Anna Kendrick are among the two with the least screen time yeah. of the cast, I feel. I mean, Anna Kendrick's sister character is kind of minor in all adaptations. But Chris Evans, man, again, a busy dude, and he's in this a lot, and he fucking kills it. Oh, my God, he's so funny. Oh, I loved it. He was great. One of my favorite, he was probably one of my highlights. Uh, their intel says, dating a high schooler. Our intel says they haven't kissed, but they did hold hands once. Um, so that's the other thing. This, this adaptation is clearly aware of the whole Scott and Knives thing being icky, and they have toned it down from the other two versions. They make it much more clear that... Scott, it's less that Scott's dating her and more that she thinks he's dating her, kind of. And Which is a smart call. Very yeah, smart it's call. a smart call. It uh, gives Scott a bit less creepitude to this whole thing. I mean, in, in the movie, it's uh, much creepier. I mean, a bit. I mean, I mean, emphasis on a bit. Like, let's it, be honest here. He's still kind of creepy. He's, yeah, again, he still sucks. And if you're 23, you shouldn't be hanging with high school girls. <laughs> Like, it is, like, look, let's just call a spade a spade. Like, it is kind of low-key grooming. Like, it's not, I like, I would consider it not, like, full, like, full grooming, but, like, he's not telling, like, he's not, he is not telling her no. Exactly, for sure. And the the show does uh, call him out, too, uh, much later. Anyways, uh, Matthew Patel, he's a character who, again, has maybe three minutes of screen time in the movie, barely much screen time in the comic. And now it turns out we're getting a lot more Matthew Patel because in this version of the story, Matthew Patel beats Scott. How do you feel about that? Well, so coincidentally, it was around uh, that fight in the movie with um, uh, with Matthew Patel, which is about where I stopped. I was like, "This is too. This is so stupid. Like, I you just can't. I'm I'm gone." So I was like, "Oh, great. This is like literally when I was watching the first episode, I was like, "Oh, so this is going the exact same way." I'm really annoyed. And then he vanished, and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a cool little... And that was kind of a cool little fake-out, like, vanished, died, whatever. And then the second episode happened, and I was like, oh, oh. it's an, It was a very nice, very nice twist. Yeah, the when it happens in the first episode, I didn't even process it. I was like, all right, whatever. Uh, this is kind of weird. But then episode two opens with Scott's funeral, and you're like, oh, 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 shit. He's, he's dead. Fuck. 
Yep. Uh, Matthew has won. According to the rules, him and Ramona must get back together, but she and everyone else just leaves the party. So again, this is great. This show just answers all these questions you might have about like the world of this. I will say it was nice because um, in the second episode, I'm not sure if we have if we've like gone into it yet. What is it? Uh, gone into it the second episode officially yet? But I really liked how um, why Ramona um, goes at like tries to figure out what happened with Scott, why she's so so determined, and it's because she blames him. She blames herself for his death because if he w- if Scott was not interested in her. You know, Matthew Patel would have never fought. Would have never fought Scott. That for me was very believable because, uh, and they even call it out at various points where they're just like, "Oh, cool, you're gonna." So you're basically trying to find this guy who you went on that date with one time, which I thought was a really clever reference of like, "This sounds really stupid," and it was almost this style of meta humor. Um, but I really appreciated that they kept calling it out and that they gave Ramona like something that to me was believable in the world of, "Oh, she's doing this kind of yeah because I like him, but also out of guilt." Yeah, 100%. Uh, there's also some really funny lines. The fact that Knives had been asleep the entire time during the fight because she's a high schooler. She's uh, Now, was that like was that the way it was in the movie? I don't recall. I mean, because again, the movie ends with him just beating up Matthew and moving on to the next plot point, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah. But I just find it cute because, you know, Knives is a high schooler, so she's probably like, you know, this is her staying up till midnight or some shit. Uh, and again, she's just a funny little character. Um, and then... One of the janitors is like, yeah, there was no show. The bass player was punched to death. Uh, yeah, that was that was good. That was good. After credits, we get a scene of Ramona changing her hair color. Uh, so this becomes the Ramona hair watch. Now it's blue with pink highlights. And yeah, at the funeral, um, it's clear he's super dead. Uh, what is it? Young Neil has a bunch of fucking great lines. Nobody wins forever. The house does, you know, like casinos. And uh, he is, he was really good. Like, I don't know why, but I just, I loved his dopiness and I loved his just earnestness. Again, interesting change from the other adaptations. There's a lot more young Neil in this and I loved it. His lines are so fucking good. Um, Oh, he's not like this in the movie? He's kind of like that in the movie, but he just has less screen time and he's not nearly as important. Like young Neil has like, maybe not an arc per se, but he's even more of a character in this and even in the comic. Oh, cool. All right. You know, that that's the funny thing. I think Brian Lee O'Malley, you know, he gets a chance to revisit these characters. And he's also just like, hey, these were some characters who maybe I didn't get to use them as much as I could have. And, you know, he finds some stuff for young Neil to do and gives him a lot of funny lines. Oh, uh, so he's like, like George Lucas, but like better. Yeah, well, oh, that's the other thing, too. I mean, now that now that we've revealed what this show is about. Um, so I was watching... Um, a Q&A with Brian Lee O'Malley and Ben David Grabinski and like two two people asking them questions it was like audience questions they both asked them about the video game Final Fantasy 7 and uh, they were kind of bewildered because I think Ben David Grabinski had played the game before but one of the people asked them specifically about Final Fantasy 7 Remake uh, which coincidentally uh, we did a podcast on the Final Fantasy 7 movie as our previous episode, but they did ask, like, oh, were you inspired by that whole remake, but not remake sequel alternate reality thing? Um, and they said they hadn't, they hadn't played the game, they were aware of it, but they were familiar with Hideki Anno's rebuild of Evangelion movies. And, uh, you know, they did call the, the final Evangelion rebuild a masterpiece, which means they know their shit. 
I mean, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, rebuild of uh, Thrice Upon a Time is fucking fantastic. And they were inspired by that as uh, artists re- revisiting their own works in uh, you know, an interesting way. And again, I mean, I love this adaptation. I love the fact that they weren't afraid to piss people off, maybe because the Scott Pilgrim fandom isn't Star Wars, so they're less scared. Well, and and that's and that's what I felt like. Like they like Scott Pilgrim, again, coming into this very, very fresh, like the fandom is very open. And I think one thing that also surprised me kind of throughout this was like some of the themes that they ex- that they explored. Like, um, and we can get into it more with more episodes, but like the as we go along, but like I was really surprised with um how open they were with their with their queer character with their lgbtq characters but open in a way that wasn't here's a queer character um which is what a lot of comics and a lot of movies and a lot of tv do um but rather but rather this was a just and a very accepted part of the world and it was just really nice and very refreshing to see that and you don't really see that um and that was a really cool like trailblazing moment and it's i just felt like they're again coming into this very fresh I feel like there were a lot of those moments where he was just able to just try stuff and it didn't really seem like it got a lot of backlash. And if it did, people were very quiet about it. Yeah. Again, it's, I think it's also the nature of just a smaller fandom. So they're just not going to be as loud. I mean, the, the usual circle jerk curlers on the internet who are, you know, caring about wokeness. uh, They know they're not going to get that many Scott Pilgrim clicks, even if it does have Brie Larson in it. Um, Right. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the other thing about uh, what you said about his queer characters, because even reading the comic, uh, Wallace Wells, who's a great character, it still kind of feels like, oh, yeah, he's gay. Look at him. He's gay. Look how cool we are. It's 2004. We have a gay character. Isn't that cool? Whereas in this adaptation, again, it's just part of it. And uh, what they do with some other characters, again, is a bit more uh, sympathetic to them. And again, just a greater understanding of uh, how to handle that stuff. Yeah. Anyways, young Neil uh, specifically refers to Ramona as "You're the girl who got Scott killed," and oh, that was uh, a great line. Again, he's so good with the fucking lines. Um, Stephen Stills, uh, who I guess is the band leader, says, "I guess now we'll never know if we sucked," which is kind of nice. But I just wish it was under di- different circumstances. Envy Adams, played by Brie Larson, she enters the funeral with a metric cover of "Will You Remember Me," which I very much enjoyed because metric rules. And Knives Chow, again, in, in another uh, fun exploration of her character, she says, Envy Adams is the lead singer of my favorite band of all time. Uh, and then Steven asks her, I thought we were your favorite band. And she's like, no, they're my favorite real band. Sex Babam is my favorite band that isn't real. That was a wonderful exchange. Like, there were just a lot of really great conversations and just these very great, like, little slice of light conversations that were very believable. Yeah, and again, it, it gives Knives, her, her fangirling over Sex Bob-omb is now um, recontextualized. You know, she just liked hanging out with them because they they were a band that would let her hang out, basically. And now it's like, yep. oh no, she actually does have like good taste in music. <laughs> which, which was a great like thing for her character. Great little development uh, point. Uh, what is it? Then the evil exes, they in, uh, invite... Uh, they get invited to their lair, even including Gideon, who is invited to his own lair. Dun, dun, dun. So Matthew, because Matthew Patel was the one who beat Scott Pilgrim, he now gets to be head honcho, which is another fun bit of recontextualizing this entire work, being like, oh yeah, what if the guy who was 
the first boss becomes the final boss now because of what happened. Like again, these it was are just, so interesting. These are just such brilliant role reversals, and again, they're they're answering all these questions you might have had about the universe. So uh, Matthew, he does challenge Gideon to a battle for the league. It's a very well animated fight, which ends with Matthew summoning spirit arms to defeat Gideon. And he says, this is my league now. I'm the main character. And poor Gideon is forced to sign uh, the lease or whatever to the lair. Yeah, he sends away like the movie studio. He sends away uh, the recording studio. He sends away like the all the other stuff. It's it's great. But of course, it turns out Scott might still be alive because Ramona is having a dream in her subspace highway thing and hearing Scott's voice. Episode dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. And of course, this is not the show to kill, kill characters. This is not that violent. Uh, and again, it even reveals what happens uh, when evil exes do get defeated later, which is kind of neat. Episode three, A Day in the Life of Young Neil. He is inspired by the death of Scott, so he's now writing a screenplay about a world where Scott lived. Except he barely actually writes anything, but he awakens to see what he calls a sleep paralysis demon who has written an entire script for him. Again, just funny shit. Uh, Ramona Harrell. Completely believable. Completely believable. And Neil is just taking credit. (laughs) Fucking Neil. I mean, listen, honestly, if I had some creepy ass person thing, creature, you know, write something for me and then just leave it and say that it was mine, I'd do it. Sure, why not? Uh, Ramona hair watch, uh, red with blonde highlights. Uh, Ramona, she checks in with Julie at the coffee shop. Julie voiced brilliantly by Aubrey Plaza. Fun fact, Aubrey Plaza was cast in Scott Pilgrim before she got cast in like pretty much anything. Uh, really? This like, this like predates funny people in terms of when the actual casting was, cause it's a movie. So they, they cast further in advance. So yeah, Edgar Wright was like, oh yeah, we found Aubrey Plaza before everyone else. That's great. And it kind of makes sense. That role in the movie isn't that big. But uh, this version, because again, Aubrey Plaza fucking rules and uh, just has like one of the best voices that works for pretty much any character. Yeah, she, she gets much more to do in this. So yeah, she Ramona tells Julie she looked at the security footage from Scott's death and realizes he got pulled into a portal. Julie points Ramona in the direction of Kim Pine. And meanwhile, Steven is freaking out about the lack of a bass player for the band. And Kim notices Knives playing. And it turns out Knives is a prodigy. And we get this really great scene of Knives finding herself through music. So That was such a, again, great development moment for her character. Because, um, so side note, Knives was also one of my least favorite characters um, when I watched Scott Pilgrim. Because of the age, because of just the fact that it was this, you know, fangirly thing. Because of the whole, um, I don't know, just hate, just hated her. Um, she gets so much more development in the show. And that was really probably one of like the best parts, I think. Yeah, and that was also prevalent in the comic. I mean, the comic, of course, has the luxury of uh, telling a longer story, but Knives is still very much the butt of a lot of jokes. Uh, and they're, they're quite cruel jokes. Yeah. You can obviously tell Brian Lee O'Malley was aware of this and did want to redeem that character. And yeah, like, you know, the stuff she gets in this is very sweet. Yeah, and it's just enough. Just enough. 100%. Also, turns out Scott owes $3,500 in late fees at the video store. Uh, we get a flashback. What even happen? I don't know. <laughs> flashback to Kim and Scott dating, which started with Scott drawing a sheep. That's just how it started off, because again, it's just cute, you know, junior high relationships. Uh, hey, man, listen. I mean, I wish I had that, Riz. 
Is that, but is again, that what the kids say, Riz? I guess so. I, Riz might even be outdated at this point. Um, Roxy Richter, who's Ramona's fourth evil ex, arrives, voiced by the lovely Mae Whitman. Uh, should note, Mae Whitman, I think out of all the actors in this, is the one who's like a legit voice actress. Like she's done a lot. And I think it definitely shows in her performance in this. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, you, you can tell who like the real voice actors are. I mean, no disrespect to, to Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but uh, I, I like her performance as Ramona in this. But again, I wouldn't call her a voice actress. Yeah. Agreed. Michael Sarah also pretty solid. But yeah, like Mae Whitman is like a legit voice actress and is playing this character differently than how she did in the movie. Because, you know, she's playing for animation. So they have a big video store brawl and they go through a black and white gangster film, a samurai film, uh, I think maybe even the hallway from Fight Club. And Roxy accuses Ramona of running away from their relationship. And she says, all I wanted was for you to see me. Fuck, man. Like the Roxy flashback is like heartbreaking. And again, you talking about um, how this show handles its queer characters, you know, Roxy, who, who is very much a lesbian and first relationship was with Ramona to see that Ramona just walked away from her and how that would have impacted her. Fuck, man. That's heartbreaking. Again, it was done in a very, a very realistic, a very grounded and in a very um, sensitive way because, you know, yeah, like that happens in queer in same sex relationships the same as it happens in heterosexual relationships like and it just goes to show like dude man we all can be dicks if we want to be yeah and it uh the other thing too is it ties into with how scott treated his previous relationships where he kind of just walked away from them maybe he felt he was more justified than the other person but you can certainly see how he hurt kim in a similar way to how Ramona hurt Roxy and uh, mm -hmm. it seems to be a, a similar thing. That's the other thing too. Again, having read the comic, I don't want to call Ramona a bad character. I think in the comic, I still found her pretty awesome. But what this adaptation does is it puts a bigger emphasis on the fact that Ramona very much can't handle staying in one spot. Uh, it's, it's not in a malicious way. It's just, that's just who she is. And that's her own thing that she has to learn and realize, Hey, you know, it's it's okay to break up with people, but the way she's been going about it was hurtful. I love the fact that we shifted this character. And, you know, and I'm honestly, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, like, I actually enjoyed her voice actor performance. I thought she's, it lended very well to the character because she stayed consistent through, she's, it, to me, it read that she was keeping consistent the whole time as far as, like, her core personality. It's just those, it's just that she was getting rid of the, of that, of those flaws. For sure. Uh, Roxy, she does reconcile with Ramona, but she still tries to make a play as friends with benefits, but it doesn't work yep. out. Uh, and she does try with Kim, but no sparks. So, oh, that was that was really funny. I yeah. like. I remember I had to rewind the moment. I was like, wait, what just happened? What? What did I just? What did I miss? Yeah, there was there was some fan service in the comic where uh, Kim drunkenly makes out with knives, but uh, they didn't go for that this time. So, Kim's sexuality is a whole nother thing. Uh, the adaptation just. This just doesn't spend that much time on her, but I think she is at the very least bisexual. They address that here. But no sparks with uh, Roxy. So we, we're not shipping that, unfortunately. Maybe maybe in a year or two, they can figure something out. But yeah, maybe, maybe characters just have relationships with characters we don't see on screen. Very possible. Uh, Gideon, he arrives at Julie's doorstep. He reminds her that he's really Gordon Goose from North Bay, Ontario. 
and he says, I couldn't even get a reservation at McDonald's. They laughed at me when I called. That was a very weird moment. Is that a thing in Canada? I must ask. No, no, that's just because he's just a rich asshole and he thinks you can get a reservation at a McDonald's. I mean, listen, I mean, I, I honestly try that, but it was just such an interesting moment. And again, and again, I, I don't know how the film works. I don't know how the comic works, but I really just enjoyed this guy's development. Yeah. Gordon, um, Gordon Goose is a new yeah. aspect to Gideon. It was, it was not present in the comic either. Episode four, Lucas wakes up. Lucas Lee wakes up in his glorious Glendale mansion. Uh, we get a dope scene of Lucas skateboarding across California set to my United States of whatever. Because you got to oh. remember this, this adaptation is set in 2004. So uh, I enjoyed the use of music in this. I loved that. I immediately went back to like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and 3. And just yeah. playing, just playing with my my younger brother, and just listening to my United States of America on repeat. This awesome sequence, of course, ends with Lucas causing a terrible accident, and uh, you're reminded this is set in the mid two thousands because of the flip phones. Ramona hair watch. This time it's dark green with lime highlights, and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost finally make their Scott Pilgrim debut as security guards, and they are also eating uh, Cornetto ice creams. <laughs> I saw that. It was a very nice reference. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, Edgar Wright making up for the fact that he didn't put those two in the movie. So, you know, he's redeeming himself too with this. boy. Yep. Young Neil's movie is already getting made. And Kids in the Hall icon Kevin McDonald makes a cameo as director Edgar Wrong. Okay, that was his voice. Yeah. Okay. That was awesome. What I love a how his... Great, great, great reference. I love how his voice doesn't even match the character model. It's, it makes it even weirder. <laughs> that would, Okay, that's what threw me off. Because I love Kevin McDonald. I used, to, I used to watch Kids in the Hall all the time growing up. It was like one of the few Canadian shows that I got, and I loved it. And I, so I just fell in love with like that whole cast. So it was just super weird, and my brain wasn't quite processing it. Yeah, uh, it, it was weird for me too. But yeah, that is, that is Kevin McDonald. Not a Kevin McDonald Which, fan alike. I was going to say, fun fun fact, um, Kevin McDonald, that is not the first time that uh, Kevin McDonald and Mary Elizabeth Winstead have worked together. What did they do before? They did Sky High. It was a Disney Channel movie in 2005. Oh, I, I see a lot of love for Sky High, and that also seems to be another Scott Pilgrim-style movie where a lot of young people in that are famous now. It's definitely definitely like a really fun like movie. I was going to say, you should watch it sometimes, because I actually really enjoy it. Yeah, I've seen the Sky High Apologist. Uh, they seem to say it's a very good superhero comedy. Um, it is. En Envy Adams, uh, she is starring as Ramona in Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life. Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life being the name of volume one of the comic. Because again, this shit just gets meta as fuck. Lucas, Lee, Lucas Lee is playing Scott. And, he said, and uh, young Neil has another banger line where he's driving... Uh, the movie carts. I mean, you work in film, uh, Jordan. What are those actually called? They're just called the go the go karts. I don't I don't know. Oh, they don't have um, an official name. Like they don't really have an official name. I think it just kind of depends on the set. Like we just call them the carts. You know, we just call, you know sometimes you can, you know if you want to get really if you want to get really weird, you call them transpo. Okay, so according to Young Neil, they're called Mario Karts. <laughs> no, well, no, they're no, they are not. But that one got a great chuckle because he said, "Oh, he's like, he's like, yeah, they call oh." What was it? The the exchange was he said was he says oh they call them Mario Karts. No, did you know no, in the U.S. They call them in America. Did you know in the U.S. these are called Mario Karts? That's what he says. Yeah, and she says no, they're not. And he says, well, they're definitely called that in Japan. I'm like, oh god. 
Uh, Wallace Wells has shown up to see how a notoriously heterosexual actor is playing him, and he ends up stealing the part from the actor. And Lucas is actually reading the script and disputes how Lucas died, which in the previous two versions was by grinding to death on a skateboard. He also has another like yeah, I mean, that's how it happened in the comic and in the movie. And he's like, shit, that's, that would never happen to me. Uh, and what is this? Lucas says, you can't judge me. You're on a quest to find a guy dating a high schooler. And then Lucas ironically ends up getting canceled for dating the actor playing Knives, although she's actually 31 in real life. And they even make a joke about what would we call this? Because cancel, cancellation hasn't uh, been codified yet. Was that actually the thing like with, with the girl who played Ni- Knives in the movie? No, no, she was like twenty or something. I mean, she was like, oh, okay, uh, it was like her first acting role. She, uh, she got cast got mostly not just. I mean, she was a good actress, but she also had like Taekwondo experience. That's why they cast her. Apparently, she was on the show Glow. She's dope, Ellen Wong. I always like seeing. Yeah, her. I've seen her on Glow. She's very good. Yeah, I, w- I want to see more of her. She's she's awesome and everything. So hopefully, um, more Ellen Wong. I'm always pro that. Anyways, uh, yeah, fun joke of Lucas getting canceled for dating the actress playing knives even though she's a 31 year old (laughs) and lucas and ramona they get attacked by ninja paparazzi again fun action sequence and we get a flashback to ramona leaving lucas for the vegan todd and her leaving actually inspired him to be a better skateboarder and a bigger star so he thanks her and she says you were definitely nobody but i still made out with you sweet little line we 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 appreciate we appreciate that sort of passive aggressive whatever uh, episode five, this is Brie Larson's time to shine. Uh, the, the documentarian of how they're framing this is like, is it true you've never acted before? And Envy Adams responds, it's true, but we're very famous. And that's basically the same thing. Love Fuck that. That, that, was, that was, that was also like, uh, as somebody in the entertainment industry, I, my heart bled because unfortunately it is true. Unfortunately, it's true. Uh, again, it's 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 bad enough. Even just a singer gets uh, cast in a movie. Now it's fucking TikTokers or some shit. Um, <laughs> what was it? Uh, young Neil gets another great line uh, where he where he asks, "Who did the director cast to play Toronto?" When the director is like, "Oh yeah, Toronto is just as much a character in this movie." Oh, oh god, that was so funny. Young Neil just on a roll with the one liners. Uh, Ramona, she becomes a stunt double for Envy Adams, who is playing Ramona. And uh, again, more young Neil uh, bangers. He asks, What happens when you mix volatile chemicals? An explosion. That's dangerous. Why are we mixing volatile chemicals on a movie set? I love him. I love him so much. Uh, the director asks Wallace and Todd to kiss. I don't know why. That's just what happens. Even the people on set are questioning it. But it leads to a real love affair between Todd and Wallace. And uh, Ramona flashback, Todd and Ramona, they met in middle school. He had a girl back in Canada who was Envy, but he liked to live in the moment. So he punched a hole in the moon for Ramona. That's what you do. He thought it was romantic. As you do. He thought it was romantic. Ramona was just like, why'd you punch a hole in the moon? That seems like overkill. Um, I mean, again, like, I I agree. I agree. uh, Todd ends up breaking up with Envy because he loves Wallace so much. This was fucking great. The Wallace-Todd affair was a very unexpected development. That was really wonderful. And especially with Todd being all head over heels and Wallace going, dude, dude, it it was nothing. Calm down. Calm down. Unflinching. Unflinching. 
they were legit showing the trailer rocking back and forth with them presumably making out or whatever it is kids do with the birds and the bees. Yeah. It's great. I loved it. A great, it's... great representation of LG of, of queer characters. Um, love like just, but, and again, in just a funny way, because again, people like there are people out there who cheat, like they are asked, like they are assholes. They're doing it in a realistic grounded way. albeit you know, with, with, a, with people who get the, who get powers from veganism. <laughs> And uh, what what again? I guess it's also Todd Gaines just desserts because you know he's the guy who's like I like to live in the moment, but Wallace also likes to live in the moment, and that moment means when when the movie ends, their relationship ends. So Great. yeah, Wallace and Envy get into a fight, which results in Wallace's stunt doubles fighting Ramona, since Ramona is Envy's stunt double, and Wallace insults his stunt doubles, which was a bad move. Uh, because they can't handle emotional damage. That so that basically ends the fight. And it was a great. It was a great moment. What was it where uh, where Envy and Wallace were going against each other? And Envy goes, "Why do you have four stunt doubles?" And he went, well, "He's like, I just he's like I, because it's in my contract. You just got to negotiate better, honey." And I was like, "Oh, what? Like just the most random lines, and they make complete sense." Yeah, I mean, Kieran Culkin also, who, who's gone way up in star value. I mean, he won, like, every every damn award this year with Succession, too. So yeah. he's just killing it. And, yeah, he knows how to do a good one-liner. Uh, what is it? Todd is so torn up over his breakup with Wallace that he's eating poutine. Because, again, this is a Canadian project. <laughs> Gotta have poutine. And Matthew Patel arrives on set and fires everyone. Ramona meets with him and he updates her on his storyline so the plot can move forward. And uh, Matthew also hires Stephen and Knives so they get involved in this little plot. Episode 6, we open on Gideon watching a shoujo anime. This was adorable. So Gideon loves anime. especially very cute. Especially the romance ones. Uh, Lucas calls him up and Lucas confesses his real name is Luke. And Lucas comes over to Gideon's place and it turns out they're besties, which again, fun little development, making all these connections between these characters that had nothing to do with each other in the comic or the movie. Uh, and after an epic montage, Julie shows up and gets mad. She was only gone 90 minutes. And yeah, yeah in seriously. In the montage, they're like playing video games or making, you know, skate parks or watching anime. They're, they're doing a lot in 90 minutes. Uh, the Ramona Hair Watch, Teal with Dark Blue Highlights. Uh, Steven and Knives are making a song about the iconic Bread Makes You Fat line. And they're working on a musical about Scott Pilgrim starring Matthew Patel. And Steven and Knives, they break the news about the adaptation to Young Neil. And again, this this feels very meta. It, you know, they, they, they do the whole very corporate thing of like, listen, we promise to respect your material, but just know we might be taking liberties with it. Again, probably a conversation that Brian Lee O'Malley had way back when they were doing the movie. Love it. Uh, but young Neil, he doesn't even care because he doesn't even remember writing this. And he blames it on his sleep paralysis demon, which leads to the band meeting with Ramona. We learn that Gideon used to be called fearless because he was a loser with no fear of rejection. So again, just a pasty-faced dork who would just propose to everyone get laughed at, but eventually it worked out because he became a millionaire or some shit. Ramona, she gives Gideon a kick in the ass and she tells him to treat Julie, treat Julie better than he treated her. Good, good stuff. These characters are developing. And, you know, we're not trying to see if Gideon tries to get back with Ramona. Now it's all about Gideon and Julie just being two 
toxic people, but they're not toxic to each other. They're just toxic to the rest of the world, which I guess is well, you know, they're 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 kind of not nice people. Yeah, they're they're still bad people, but they're good to each other. So I guess that's development on their part. Hashtag, hashtag power couple. Power couple. Um, Lucas also tells her the robot they keep seeing belongs to the Kusanagi twins. Kusanagi backstory. They were Ramona's uh, TAs in college. They seemingly took advantage of her, but she was actually playing them against each other. And this reminds Knives of what Scott pulled on her and Ramona. Again, the show uh, recontextualizing what Scott did and making it very clear, hey, this was pretty shitty of him. Scott's a douche. Again, he is. Scott's a and douche. In the, and in the comic, again, the comic has the luxury of being six volumes long and Scott is developed further and those conversations are had. I think even Brian Lee O'Malley, he, he, he almost kind of complained about how he had to make this a bit more obvious uh, in an interview. He's like, yeah, kids these days, you need to spell it out uh, more for them or they get mad at you. I think even some of this stuff that happens in the show is maybe begrudging on his part. But that's just what I read in an interview and what he said. Anyways, I still think it works. But yeah, he, yeah. he, he maybe wished he could have been more quote-unquote subtle, but he felt the need to make it more obvious. Well, uh, and especially with, with eight episodes, like it's not a lot because each of these episodes are like less than a half hour. Like You can only do so much. Anyways, uh, Knives also reveals the script the demon wrote came from 14 years from now. Dun, dun, and, dun. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Also, we learned that the robot is a vegan robot, which is why it was able to create a portal that powerful. And Scott arrives and reveals the person behind all of this was actually him. So Scott Pilgrim finally returns. He took off, and now he's back. And it turns out Scott was set 14 years into the future, and the person who sent him there was a 37-year-old older Scott. Uh, Loved it. Also, important to note, in the comic and in this adaptation, Scott wears an X-Men jacket. This is a reference. This whole storyline is a reference to the the very famous Days of Future Past X-Men storyline. Mm-hmm. So, love it. It all ties in together. And uh, older Scott, he actually has like a pretty great place. It does not belong to him, but still, things are maybe not terrible. But he says, fighting the exes was the biggest mistake of our lives because we won. And uh, to open this VR chamber, which uh, has the memories of Scott's uh, life, older Scott enters the Hadouken motion. So, again... Fun little video game reference. Also, love the fact that the v- that the VR room was a virtual boy. Yes, that was so fucking good. I loved it. That's a deep cut. Right- That's a deep cut right there. I loved it so much. Also, I noticed there was a minion cameo from Scott and Ramona's honeymoon. Yeah, that was cute. I loved it. Anyways, turns out Scott and Ramona divorced, technically separated, and uh, Scott asks older Scott, "Yeah, we must have had some good times." He's like, yeah, but they're not in the simulation, which is uh, reflective of older Scott, uh, who is living in the past, but he's not trying to think about the good things. He's just hung up on all the bad things. So mm-hmm. important to note, Brian Lee O'Malley is a divorced man. He got divorced around 10 years ago. Uh, really? He was, yeah, he was married to another comic artist. I'll grab her name. Yeah, she's also super accomplished in her own right. 
So this was, oh yeah, he was uh, married to Hope Larson for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, married 2004, divorced 2014. I think the older Scott stuff is very explicitly about this. Um, he has not hmm. mentioned that in interviews. I think he's also just trying to be nice to his ex and not drag her into his press tour. But well, the, the story, yeah, I know. he's not being toxic. That's good. Um, I'm glad he made this adaptation when he did because, yeah, if he's getting divorced in 2014, he did this in, say, 2015, 2016. It probably might have been more negative. Just a little bit. You know, it Girl, happens to everyone. Hooray! It happens to everyone. Well, not, divorce doesn't happen to everyone, but you know what I mean. Breakups happen. People get bitter. I'm glad he came out with this when he did. Uh, clearly, he's been to therapy. He's had time to reflect because I 100% think the older Scott stuff is based on what happened. Older Scott also confirms the evil exes never actually died. They just respawned at their houses and became good guys. So, again, this... Uh, show finally answering some pretty important questions uh scott was not murdering people in the comic or in the movie no nope, which they, you know we we were accepting this as a rule in the world yeah i i, I even read that uh, edgar wright at one point early on in the script uh he considered having a twist where it's revealed that scott was just a serial killer which thank god they didn't do that for the movie but oh jesus that would have that would have been a very different film um but again it's something to consider given uh that the comic never really made it clear what happened to the exes since they just disappeared from the story. But nope, the Kusanagi twins became good guys after they got beaten up because uh, violence solves everything. Uh, you know, hey, it does. <laughs> the mansion, it actually belongs to older Wallace and his husband works at Nintendo. And yes, he gets every game for free. I love this moment so much. It was so funny. It's like, so, no, he actually doesn't. Yes, he does. Yes uh and older scott reveals he took scott away from his timeline so he would never experience the heartbreak of breaking up with ramona again these these are interesting things he's not like trying to kill his past self or try to kill anyone else no he just doesn't want his younger self to experience these things which is I, which is cute and like i mean he means well but you know pain is part of life uh, what is it wallace asked older wallace asked scott Remember how you were when Envy Adams dumped you? It's like this times 10. And uh, oh. that's how Scott gets it. That's how Scott realizes it was that bad. And we get some more plot connection stuff. So basically throughout this series, we've seen the vegan robot coming in and out of scenes. Turns out Scott was using the robot so he could view his timeline and see what's been going on. And every time we see the robot on screen... That was Scott, so he witnessed everything in the show so far. So that also just solves the problem of information. I think anytime you have a character disappear, you're like, how are they still relevant to the plot? How do they know uh, the other key details? They answer that. Scott was there the whole time. It all makes very, sense. Very, very smart. Yeah, it's smart. Uh, older Ramona arrives and hands Scott a book, and the book says... Scott and Ramona and me, my precious big life as Scott Pilgrim's best pal by old young Neil, which what a wonderful title. What a great title, man. That's that should get the Pulitzer like right Pulitzer like right there. Yeah. So she wrote a screenplay of the book by old young Neil back in the past so that Scott would know there were still good things that happened in their relationship. Um, and Ramona admits the plan didn't make a lot of sense. So I do like that they let older Ramona also be flawed. She's also pulling her own weird stuff with this. 
she's doing it in a more mature and nice way than older Scott. But again, both of these characters are pretty flawed. And uh, Ramona and older Ramona take a selfie to mark the occasion, of course. Uh, Scott also finally tells Knives he met someone and he shouldn't have been dating her either. Also, it turns out a high schooler dating a 23-year-old is frowned upon. When oh, you put it up... Well, when, yep. Yep. Although, to be fair, now I'm reflecting back on my own high school parties when, like, I did, like, see, like, 25-year-old guys come in dating, like, girls in my high school grade. And I'm like, oh, look at these older, intimidating guys. They're so cool. I'm like, oh, no, they sucked. Oh, no, they're awful. Um, again, like, predatory behavior, it's really awful. It's really awful. It's awful, and they're just losers, plain and simple. You're like, oh, God, how much of a loser do you got to be to date a fucking high schooler? Seriously. (laughs) That's the biggest thing. You're like, oh, this guy wasn't cool. He just sucked so hard he had to date high schoolers. (laughs) Knives, she thanks Scott and says him dying gave her time to reflect. So, again, Knives finally coming into her own and just giving her that closure and letting her be a real character. Scott and Ramona try to kiss, but an, an AT field which they'll later call an AK field, but this is very much an Ava reference. It uh, was. <laughs> it was an Ava reference. I loved it. It's again, Evangelion rules. Um, an AT field from Ava blocks them from kissing, and it turns out they still have emotional baggage they need to deal with. I, again, I just love how clever this show is with its uh, relationship rules and how it turns it into a video game and an anime. Good shit uh luckily the scott pilgrim musical is the perfect venue to deal with all this emotional baggage and episode eight the finale we're finally there scott gets ready to fight the evil exes but none of them are interested again subverting that was ex- so funny i loved it i loved it completely subverting your expectations it's like no man these guys are just fucking hanging out doing their own thing uh todd is still not over his breakup with wallace the kusanagi twins say our robot says we're bros in the future, so later, bro. I love it. Very easy. Just very easy. Yeah, they're just like, okay, well, we're chill in the future, so we're not going to fight you. There's no fucking point. They watch the musical, which, of course, rules. Matthew Patel is doing a great job as Scott. But a force field takes over the stage and transports all the major characters to another plane of existence. And the man behind this is even older Scott, and he is 47 years old. Dun, dun, dun. And his backup plan to prevent Scott from being with Ramona was to put nanomachines in his drink, and this created an anti-kiss field, or an AK field as he calls it. Uh, I loved it. It's, it's so silly, and again, fun Ava reference while also making it its own stupid thing. And even older Scott has gone so strong, he can take on the world. So Scott Pilgrim versus the world. The, the meta-ness. So dumb, but I, I love I, it. It's so meta. I love it. And again, it's using the meta-ness to twist it into its own weird thing. Um, and yeah, even older Scott used the 10 years uh, he spent after hanging out with regular Scott to get stronger. And uh, using Ramona's bag, the evil exes get a bunch of power-ups to fight even older Scott, but it's still not enough. The action scene, of course, is pretty fun. Should be noted, Science Star fucking killed it with the animation. Like, the action scenes rule. The action scenes in this whole show were just beautiful. This is not just like, oh, this is just, you know, time for jokes. No, like, they give you really, really good action scenes. Yeah, it was excellent. What is it? Uh, Scott tells even older Scott, you need to let me live my life. 
Older Scott responds, if I do, you'll end up where I'll end up, alone in a room for 10 years. And Scott says, that was your choice. Let me make my own. Mm. Man, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. This is a guy, you know, trapped in the past, won't even let his own self make his own choices. And then even older Ramona calls out Scott. And uh, it turns out he didn't even text her during these 10 years. What a douche. I know. She's like, I just needed some space, dude. And, he's, and he responds in the most guy way where he's like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I was like giving you space, wasn't I? It's like, no, you were just like trying to like, fucking fight. Um, you were just being a total, you were just being a total douche. Like you're being a total like incel. Like, Meh. Yeah. Uh, even older Scott sucks. Uh, and he, he does call out Ramona for constantly running away, which, yeah, that is a fair thing. But he also, at some point, has to take his own responsibility for just making really shitty choices. Um, yeah, Ramona finally makes a choice herself. She hugs herself and becomes Super Ramona, just like in Sonic 3. Although, even older Scott, you can hear him call it Sonic 2. So he's, again, he's been so focused on getting roided out, he doesn't even remember his Sonic references. How dare he? But I did love the scene. Ramona hugging herself and becoming a celestial being. That's good shit, man. That's good shit. It was really, really great. Um, and yeah, even older Ramona transports even older Scott back to the future. She finally kisses Scott and tells him she loves him. And she says she runs away from the things she loves. But what she's done in the past doesn't define her. And Scott will keep reminding her of that. Again, this is, this is you know, really good character development. I, again, this still happens to an extent in the comic, but I think this show just has the hindsight uh, to make it more clear and to reflect more on Ramona as a character. Again, you know, her choosing herself, that was just not something Brian Lee O'Malley in his mid to late 20s was capable of thinking of. I don't think any mm -hmm. person that age could have thought of that. I love it. It was such a smart choice and especially in listening to what you're saying you can tell that the evolution of you know brian lee o'malley like has has changed because of his life decisions and it reflects in his work and i think that's a very it's a very rare case study that you get to see in with creators where you get to see like the same bit uh one piece of material evolve with the creator in and them actually listening to it and paying attention to it and i thought that was a very and in listening to this this is a very it's very very interesting like yeah. it, it's, it's fascinating why, it's why i love the rebuild of evangelion movies it, i mean yeah we'll, we'll cover them at some point on the podcast i'm, I'm oh hesitant. my god please i'm hesitant too because i feel like that's the perfect way to end the podcast so i'm just mm -hmm. like no well well the good things come to those who wait so um but the stuff we've been covering on the podcast lately have been rebuild adjacent, uh, which has been really yeah. fun. So again, we covered uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena, which kind of did rebuild before even rebuild did with it uh, going full queer in its movie. Uh, what was it? Final Fantasy VII Advent Children isn't necessarily that, but its current Final Fantasy VII remake series is very much a recontextualization of a 30-year-old game. And... Uh, you can listen to my thoughts from the previous episode on how I feel. We won't get into that because uh, it's still ongoing. But again, Rebuild of Evangelion, which I love End of Evangelion. I still think it's the better film. 
but it's very, very angry. It comes from a point of view from a man who was in a very stressful work environment and dealing with a lot of shit. And then with the rebuild movies, I think even within like the first three, they're still pretty fucking angry. But by the fourth one, he's finally had some time to chill out. And now that Ono is just happy that Ava is done, he can be like, okay, life is beautiful. I can go do other things. I can do other things. And my other things are just going to be making uh, alternate retellings of my favorite uh, things when I was a kid, like Godzilla and Ultraman and uh, Kamen Rider. So he's You know what? Good for him. He's fucking earned it. Uh, Shin Godzilla still rules, even though I know everyone loves Godzilla minus one. But what was it? Yeah, back to Scott Pilgrim. This recontextualization of a work. I love it, man. I love it when artists get to do this. Um, obviously, the work has to be worthy of it. Um, and I know they're, they are controversial with fans. But personally, I love the the reboot cool, especially if it, involves, if it involves the original creator like this does. Yeah, it was excellent. Let's let's get back to Matthew. Oh, do you have any more thoughts or? Oh no, I was just gonna say like I just really just really enjoyed like how all the characters like how the, all the characters like ended up at the very end. Oh yeah, so we'll get into that. So Matthew he returns Gideon's empire to him as long as he can still do the musical. Sex Babam is back with knives on keyboard, and they don't even suck anymore. Again, great. knives knives is the one who made Sex Babam actually good. So just great stuff for her. Envy is working with Steven and Knives, it seems. Uh, or at least you see them cheering her on in, like, the recording booth. So maybe uh, they've got, like, a... a internship. Versus... Internship, maybe a collaboration with uh, Clash at Demon Head or something. So, yeah. Ramona is a stunt double. Scott Pilgrim, the musical, has won 27 Tonys. So good for Matthew Patel. And good job. Todd, Todd is back to being a vegan, and Roxy is training him. Lucas Lee is a superstar barista, and I guess, um, what is it, Scott's sister is, I guess, you know, probably going to start dating him or, you know, uh, something else. She seems to really be happy with his butt. Uh, And Wallace meets a boy in France and learns that sparks are real. So maybe this is the boy who uh, works at Nintendo. He does, I mean, not to stereotype, but the boy is, uh, like, Asian looking. So, yeah. Maybe that's his uh, Nintendo husband. I mean, you know, again, like sparks are real. We we love we love the, we love people finding their happy endings. And Ramona hair watch blonde with teal streaks. And Ramona, she comes in, hangs out with the crew, and that's how it ends. Except there's also a post credit scene uh, where Gideon and Julie say the games truly begin. But uh, I think Brian Lee O'Malley said it was just a fun little dig at Marvel movies. I think it was a great little dig. Yeah, it's a little dig. Uh, I don't think... I mean, listen, I enjoyed this heavily. I don't think it needs a sequel. Maybe when Brian uh, Leo Malley has kids, he'll revisit it. So yeah. uh, maybe in 10 or 20 years, it'll be Scott and Ramona being parents. But I think I am satisfied with this being the final word on uh, Scott Pilgrim. I, I don't think we need uh, the 60-year-old version of this. Yeah, it, it felt... Again, I'm glad that it took the time. And I think what you said earlier was very appropriate is that Brian Lee O'Malley wasn't able to have these very complex thoughts about life and growing up because he hadn't grown up a lot when he first wrote Scott Pilgrim. And now that he's older and he's had that opportunity, it's a le- he is able to, that growth is able to reflect in his characters and in this world. 
And I think that that's really, really wonderful. And again, we have a very rare case where we see a creator um, grow and be able to uh, have his creation grow with him, but in a very grounded and realistic and, dare I say, uh, good way. Yeah, I loved it, man. Uh, Let's get into our favorite segment. I kind of think I know what the answer is going to be, but we'll still cue the music. Speed wagon, 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 speed wagon. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert EO Speedwagon. My speedwagon is young Neil. Uh, I can't help it. I thought I would find a new speedwagon uh, because this was my uh, rewatch for the show. But I can't help it. Every single line young Neil has is pretty much amazing. I loved him in this. Uh, the fact that, you know, I got to finally read the comic and see how young Neil compared. I can safely say this version of young Neil in Scott Pilgrim takes off is the definitive young Neil version. So yes, he does earn the right to be a speed wagon. Love it. What about you? Uh, it's for me, my speed wagon is a uh, nice. I, Hated Knives watching the movie. Uh, I love her development in this uh, show. I love that everything that that they gave her was believable. Um, she just became this really wonderful character in her own right, as opposed to just the girl that Scott that Scott is, you know, sort of dating, sort of not dating in a weird, in a weird, creepy way. Um, yeah, Knives freaking is awesome. Yeah. She's a fantastic character. I mean, uh, her, her redemption alone is worth the existence of the show, I feel. Like, I love it when people can go uh, see, when you see that codependent relationship. And again, we see that all the time. Um, having seen that in my own life and having experienced it in my own life, she is the epitome of post-traumatic growth. I.e., mm-hmm. you're in a, a traumatic relationship or a codependent relationship when you break up. And you find that you are worthy of love and then you end up growing and end up realizing that you have outgrown this. And that moment where she has it with Scott Pilgrim of, oh, hey, you you dying allowed me to grow. It was just, oh, just chef's kiss. Yeah, most definitely. All right. Final thoughts. I already kind of said them earlier. But yeah, this show rules. I love it. I'm in, I was very happy I got to rewatch it. And uh what can I say, man? This the show is worthy of a rewatch because you pick up on some of the hints as to what happens in the plot, and the the jokes are good enough uh, for you to listen to them a second time. And also, animation rules. Aquaman is just a good show. I'll probably rewatch it at another point. Uh, I can't stop recommending it to people. I think the only issue is uh, I think people get worried about the amount of homework. So. I, I guess a mild criticism of this is I do think you should at least watch the movie to at least have an idea of what it's subverting. Uh, I know you watched less of the movie, but you still had an idea. So I guess that, yeah, Yeah. that would be a, I mean, again, it's, you know, you can't have a reflection of a material without the material itself. So I suppose that's a mild dig against this. Like, does this hold up? on zone does a person who hasn't watched it at the movie at all could they follow it i don't know uh i unfortunately i uh, didn't get someone like that i got someone who watched half of the movie so they are half familiar not even half of the movie like like i said like the first like 30 40 minutes if that okay fair enough but 
you know, I, I don't know the opinion of someone who's watched Zero or a person who does not know this is right. an adaptation. So, I don't know. If you, dear listener, uh, were completely unfamiliar with Scott Pilgrim at all, but still watch this, feel free to uh, let, us, mess, let us know. Because, yeah, I am curious. But nevertheless, <laughs> this is me just rambling. Nevertheless, I enjoyed this a lot. Uh, so what about you, Jordan? Your final thoughts, your final word on Scott Pilgrim takes off. You know, um, it actually made me appreciate Scott Pilgrim. Um, again, I think it's it's a very smart series. I, I will say the, the slight dig against it, I will agree with you, is that you have to know the material in order to fully realize it and appreciate it. And because I only knew a little bit about the material, um, I felt like a lot of the, the digs and the subverting were lost on me. However... Uh, it, the show itself does a great job of bringing people up to speed, or at least giving people like a uh, a periphery rundown of how the movie went, how the comic went. So I thought that was a very that was like very smart, and they did as much as they could. Um, solid voice cast, uh, really wonderful animation, an animation style that I did not like when I was younger, and I'm now starting to really greatly appreciate because the simplest, the more simplistic style really allows. Um, for the storytelling to really sing, which I really appreciated. Um, it makes me... I may actually go back and try to actually watch the movie, which, based on our conversation and the growth that uh, that Brian Lee O'Malley has, has made since the movie, I am interested and also kind of terrified. <laughs> so, I don't know. I may let you know. But it's... Um, overall, I think it's a really fun show. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. It's it's a really great show, especially if you're a Scott Pilgrim fan. I definitely would recommend it. Awesome. Yeah. Couldn't have said better myself. Uh, Jordan, where can people find you? Uh, so everyone can find me on all the socials uh, at, uh, at Love with three L's. And you can find me online at jmitchelllove.com. Fantastic. As always, you can find me at jackisjack on Instagram. Only real Jack M on Twitter. Um, find at is this anime pod on instagram we're not on twitter at all really um for the people who the 15 followers maybe if even that we have we we love you on the twitter but instagram is where we actually post anyways that about ends the podcast thank you so much for listening thank you jordan for coming on this was very much worthy of a show i very very much like a lot uh anyways it's time for my bedtime so take it easy and don't forget to take over the world. Don't uh, enjoy the, the hyperspace thing with all the <laughs> dreams and stuff. Um, the, you know, the hopefully sub- you'll pull Ramona flowers. The subspace highway, yes. The uh, subspace highway. Enjoy the subspace highway. <laughs>